So I want you to imagine with me uh, this morning that you're at home, not, not a far stretch that you'd be at home, but you're going about your normal routine when you hear a at your door. Now you're in the middle of something, and so you can't get to it immediately, but your, your child runs to the door. They beat you there. They're excited to see who it is. And you're like, I don't have any kids. Well, I'm giving you a glimpse into your future. Um, you're, you're going to have kids. Just go with me on this. Um, and so your, your kid, as, as kids tend to do, they yell. And it's like, Mom, Dad, there's somebody at the door. This guy says he's from the Canada Revenue Agency. And like your stomach, you hear that, and it's just like, it just, it sinks. Because it's like, man, they never come around for anything good. Um, so you're nervous and your mind starts racing like, why are they here? Did I not file my taxes correctly? Are they here to ask some, for some more money? Did, did I do something wrong? And, and you're like, okay, I've got I've to be a grown-up. And so you're like, compose yourself. And you walk to the door and you, you want to put up a strong front. And so you're like, how can I help you? And this person, they says, well, good morning. I'm from the Canada Revenue Agency. And I'm, I'm here because actually over the last several years, we've been wrongly charging you more tax than we should have been. And as soon as you hear that, you go, yes, I knew it. I knew it all along. Like those greedy, greedy tax collectors. Now, you don't say that. And you're like, oh, okay. And they say, well, what's going to happen is that over the next um, a few days, we're going to put a deposit into your account for the money that we owe you. But, but not just the money that we owe you, actually four times the amount that we wrongly took from you. And like in that moment, you're just kind of hit with a bunch of different emotions because like it's, it's relief. I'm not getting hauled off to jail or something. I, they're not asking more money from me. There's happiness because you've got money coming your way. So you're going to pay off some debts or maybe you're going to do that thing you were just saying like someday I'll do that when I have the money. But there's also confusion. You're kind of perplexed because you're going like, this is not what the CRA generally does. Like, they don't usually give money and, and then extra money. And, and so you're kind of left with this question, like, why, why would you do this? Why are you doing this? Now, I know this scene seems strange, but something like this would actually play out as a result of what takes place in the text we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have a Bible, your phone, tablet, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. So it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So we ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, this 
story might be familiar to you. If you grew up in the church, chances are you heard the story of Zacchaeus. And, and maybe you kind of sang that song they sang in Sunday school, like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I'll stop. I'm going to spare you my singing. Now, Here's the thing, we, we kind of grew up with this. I was like, I, I heard this story so many times, whether in church, Sunday school, VBS, camp, uh, kind of Bible stories at night with my parents, like on repeat. And here was the moral that I, I usually took away. It was like, Jesus loves everybody, even the short people too. Um, now, like, uh, there was probably more to it. My, my Sunday school teachers, and they probably brought more out, but I've confessed, like, I was not the model uh, child in Sunday school. Um, I probably missed a lot. But here's the thing. Again, if we kind of grew up in the church, we, we might think of, like, that's a kid's story. We might think we know this story. And so sometimes when we're familiar with something, we kind of just tune it out, and we don't take everything um, that it has to say in. We're like, I got this. I, I don't, I, there's nothing here for me. But what I want to do is, if, if you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, I just want to encourage you, um, just, just listen to it like it's the first time you're hearing it. Try, try and look at it with new eyes, because there's something here for every one of us. Now, Jesus, he's coming into Jericho, and it's, it's a wealthy and important town at this time. Like, it's on an important travel route, kind of as you're making your way to Jerusalem. Um, it's one of the greatest taxation centers in Palestine. Now, who are these taxes paid to? Well, it's paid to the Roman Empire, who is occupying kind of the promised land and um, making the Jewish citizens pay taxes to the emperor so that the Romans can continue their campaign to spread peace and prosperity throughout the land. Um, and so they, they make people pay the taxes. And so what they do is they get local people, local Jewish men, to collect the taxes from their fellow citizens and then kind of pay these back to Rome. Now, here's what happened. Most tax collectors are a part of a system that cheats people for personal advantage by collecting more money than they needed to when they collect the taxes. So the Romans are like, we want 7%. And the tax collector kind of is like, um, yeah, I need 11% of your income. And, and so like they're, they're adding to the top and, and they're padding and lining their own pockets. They're becoming extremely wealthy um, by taking advantage of their fellow citizens. Now, Zacchaeus, he's not just your run-of-the-mill, everyday tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. And so what this means is he's probably in charge of a district, and he's got um, other tax collectors who work for him. And so Zacchaeus, he's, he's made himself extremely wealthy at the expense of others. And because tax collectors work for the Romans, the, the, the Jewish people's considered enemy, they view tax collectors as mercenaries and thieves. They view them as sinis, uh, as uh, they they view them as villains because they're they're knowingly taking from their fellow citizens more than they should in order to make themselves rich. And so, like when 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 Jewish people thought about tax collectors, it was like, well, what's your field of work? Well, tax collectors got grouped in with the prostitutes. Like it's just like those that that's a bad thing. It's like your field of work gets thrown in there. It's not a good sign. It, ju it just isn't. And so here's the question. Who's not going to resent somebody who loves money more than their family or their neighbor or their nation? Now Zacchaeus, he's reached the top of his profession. There's not, there's not much any higher places he can go. He's extremely wealthy, but he's probably lonely. 
The only people kind of in his life would be the Romans that he kind of reports to, the tax collectors that report to him, and the people that Zacchaeus knows is like, they're just here because I'm rich, that I can get them some things. And so he's got this lonely life, and aside from those few people, he's got mostly enemies. And Zacchaeus, he, he knowingly has chosen a way of life that has made him an outcast. And so Zacchaeus, he's probably one of the most hated men in all of Jericho. Now for years, Zacchaeus has been told, there's no hope for a guy like you. Um, because of what you do, you don't really have much of a share um, in, in God's promises. There'd be things where it's just like people would turn him away and they'd reminded that he's, he's an outcast, even saying like God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Now Zacchaeus hears that a religious teacher named Jesus is coming to town. And Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus and he knows that, that Jesus is different than most of the other religious teachers. Because it's said that, that Jesus will actually eat with tax collectors and the other outcasts. So there's, there's a rumor going around that Jesus has called this guy named Levi a, a tax collector to actually follow him and be his disciple. And somebody told this story that Jesus had told where uh, Jesus makes a tax collector the hero and the Pharisee is the bad guy. And so Jesus gives a guy like Zacchaeus hope. And Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus, but that's not going to be easy. Because notice in verse 3, it said that there are crowds following Jesus at this point. So because of Jesus' kind of teaching, because of his miraculous powers and the things that he's done, he's gained a reputation. People are interested in Jesus. They're following him. Later in Luke chapter 19, Jesus kind of comes into Jerusalem, and they call that the triumphal entry. What's taking place? People uh, take palm branches, they're waving them, they're throwing their cloaks on the road, and they're hailing Jesus as God. King, the Messiah. He's popular with a lot of people. Now Zacchaeus, he still wants to see Jesus. And for him to go out into a crowd like this is kind of dangerous because usually when Zacchaeus is doing his tax stuff, he's going to have a couple of Roman guards there with him. You're going to make trouble. You're going to answer to these guys, but he's going out on personal business. And so this is something that's courageous for him because here's the thing, like when, when Zacchaeus goes, excuse me, pardon me, can I get through to see um, maybe he's rude, and he says, get out of my way. He thinks he's an important guy. Um, people are going to go look down. They see it's Zacchaeus, and they're going to ignore that request. They don't, they don't like Zacchaeus. They're not going to get out of his way. And so some people might even kind of take the opportunity to give uh, uh, Zacchaeus an elbow, a shove, a kick. Just like in the crowd, they can say, oh, sorry, my bad. Didn't realize you were there. And so Zacchaeus, he's kind of, he's taking a risk. And because of his short stature, he can't just kind of stand at the, the back and look over buddy, everybody else's heads to see Jesus passing by. And so Zacchaeus, he does something that's kind of remarkable. He runs. And we're like, what's so remarkable about Zacchaeus running? Well, Jewish men never, ever ran in public. Because like in order to kind of run in public, you'd have to pull up your tunic and as you ran, you would expose your bare legs, which was a humiliating and shameful thing for a Jewish man to do. But Zacchaeus does it. He runs. And then what he does next is even more surprising. He climbs up into a tree. And we might be going like, no big deal. But this is a different culture. And for him to do that, people are just going to be like, <laughs> who is this guy? Like, what, what is he doing? Making fun of him, going like, he's so short he had to climb up a tree in order to see Jesus. And so he's kind of exposing himself to some ridicule here. 
But Zacchaeus, he has the view he wants. He can see down the road. And it's not long before Jesus kind of comes into view and he's coming closer and closer. And finally, he gets under the tree that Zacchaeus is up in and Jesus stops under the tree and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. And the crowd, they're just kind of like, oh, Jesus is going to give it to him. He's going to call him out for all the things that he's done. He's going to put Zacchaeus in his place. But then what Zacchaeus, or Jesus does next surprises everybody, Zacchaeus included. And he says, Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home today. Now here's the thing. Jesus brings honor to any home that he visits at this point. He literally could stay with anybody he wants at this point. Jericho, it's a city full of priests. Why not go stay with one of them, honor one of those guys that's kind of doing God's work? But no, he goes to stay with Zacchaeus. And why would God give special notice and honor to a guy like Zacchaeus? Why is Jesus being kind to a guy who is this notorious sinner And nobody, including Zacchaeus, has any idea why Jesus wants to go stay with him. And when when Zacchaeus hears this, he probably almost like kind of falls out of the tree, but he catches himself because here's the thing. Nobody would go near Zacchaeus' home if they could help it, let alone go inside of his home. But here's the thing. Jesus wants to go. So Zacchaeus, he rushes down the tree, and he's like, this, this way, Lord. And, and he, he leads Jesus to his home. And as he, he's like, I don't want Jesus to change his mind on the way. And as he's going, like, I wonder if Jesus knows actually who I am. I wonder if Jesus knows all the, the things that I've been doing. Now, Zacchaeus is delighted, but the crowds aren't. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're upset that Jesus would go into the home of a tax collector. Like, Jesus has boldly and openly identified himself with, again, a notorious sinner. And so, just as Zacchaeus exposes himself to ridicule by climbing the tree, Jesus exposes himself to criticism by visiting Zacchaeus' home. Like, ordinary people, they, they see Jesus as their friend. They're like, we like him. And, and for Jesus to go into Zacchaeus' home is to show him honor? Why is, he Jesus, why is Jesus honoring an enemy? And so you can imagine that some of Jesus' disciples, they kind of get a sense of what the crowd feels is saying. And, and they go, Jesus, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Like, may, maybe we should go somewhere else. And Jesus has a platform. He has popularity at this point. I can imagine maybe Judas leans over into Jesus' ear and goes, like, listen, Jesus, you, you've got You've got platform. You've got popularity. You've got a hard-earned reputation. Why don't you take advantage of it? Why don't you go and, and stay with, with somebody who's, who's more accepted, somebody who's more popular, somebody who has, um, is well-respected in the community, so people will think well of you. But here's what we see, that in the midst of the, the popularity, in the midst of kind of this platform that he's gained, Jesus has not changed. A lot of people will change as they become more popular and they gain that platform. But fame has not changed Jesus. And I love that. He's still the teacher who will eat with the outcasts and the sinners and the tax collectors. Now Jesus is a guest in in Zacchaeus' home for the day. He's there for a while. So I don't imagine that he goes to Zacchaeus' home and they they sit in their chairs and they just kind of sit there in awkward silence all day. Jesus is a teacher. Chances are he taught some things while he was there that day. 
probably had some conversations with Zacchaeus. Now, we don't know what was said, but, but we, could, we could guess some things. Like maybe, maybe Jesus said something like what's recorded in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34, where it says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And we, we don't know exactly what Jesus said that day, but we do know that when he left Zacchaeus' home later that day, Zacchaeus was a changed man. He had changed the course of Zacchaeus' life. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. And Zacchaeus' faith in Jesus immediately impacts how he's going to live. Like he starts making um, a list of how he's going to make restitution for his wrongs. And so he says, I'm going to give half my wealth, not my future income, not, not like what I get later on, half my wealth, what I possess right now is going to the poor. And what about the other half? Is it going to be a nest egg for rainy days? No. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back anybody that I have cheated, not just what I owe them, but four times the amount. And so Zacchaeus wants to restore what he can. And if robbery, here's the thing, like Zacchaeus, he doesn't just do like, what's the minimum that's required of me? I'm not just going to return what I owe them. Like he's kind of working with the law of Moses. The law of Moses says like, if you deliberately um, and and violently stole or or, uh, took something from somebody um, and you got caught and restitution was ordered, you had to pay back four times the amount. But if you kind of you, you were convicted, you realized that what you had stolen, um, that it was wrong, and you were going to say, I'm going to make restitution. You restored what you took plus one-fifth. And that's what Zacchaeus is doing here. But then Zacchaeus, he's going beyond that one-fifth extra. He goes all the way. He does everything that he can. He's a changed man. Money no longer has a hold on him. Now we have to understand Zacchaeus' plans are going to bankrupt him. It's like he's going to have nothing left after this. And he does not make this offer to win Jesus' approval, but to show him his gratitude. Like he's not trying to earn salvation, but he's responding to what Jesus has done for him. And he's, he's, he's realized that Jesus has changed his life. Like something is taking place in this moment. The love Jesus shows Zacchaeus, it, it impacts the very direction of Zacchaeus' life. He's a new man. He has a new affection. And Jesus resets Zacchaeus' life. He begins enthusiastically living, not for the pursuit of wealth, but for his Savior. Now, as I studied this text, I, I kept coming back to verse 5, where Jesus says, like, I must be a guest in your home today. He, he doesn't say, like, Zacchaeus, it would be cool if you invited me over. He doesn't go like, Jesus, or Zacchaeus, I'd like to come visit you. Like, he invites himself over. He goes like, I must be a guest in your home today. I'm going like, why? Because like this word must, it communicates a divine necessity that he be there. So why is it necessary for Jesus to be in Zacchaeus' home? 
Well, as we look at this, we see Jesus was there for Zacchaeus. He, he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. And if you're asked to describe the heart of Jesus' ministry, the, the, the gospel in one sentence, it's like there. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. Now, when something is lost, it simply means that's in the wrong place. It's not where it should be. It needs to be put in its proper place. And every human being, we find ourselves, ourselves lost because we've sinned. We've wandered away from God. We thought that we knew better. We've followed our own wisdom and understanding, and it's led us away, and we're separated from God, and we're supposed to be with God. But because of our sin, we're separated. We're not with him. We're not where we're supposed to be. But the gospel says that Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And so what do we do when we find what is lost? We put it back in its proper place where it ought to be, and the reality is that as, as Zacchaeus, he climbs the tree to seek Jesus, to see Jesus. Jesus comes to Jericho seeking Zacchaeus. He's looking for Zacchaeus. And so Jesus was there to return this man to his proper place as God's child. Jesus has come looking for the lost, that he humbly, he kindly, he patiently, he continuously pursues us out of his great love for us so that we might be found. And this is different than every other religion out there. Most religions would say this. If you want to get to heaven, if you want to get to eternal life, to paradise, to God, whatever it is, you need to seek. You need to, to work at it to get there. And if, if you put in enough work, if you please the gods who are kind of not really that interested in you, but if you kind of get their attention, you might be able to get there. But, but you need to bridge that gap. You need to find your own way back home. But the gospel says, no, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Like, you don't need to try and get God's attention. Like, please accept me. The gospel says, no, you've got God's attention. He's not ignoring you. You already have it. And Zacchaeus' story shows us that no one is too lost to be found and changed by Jesus. Now, Jesus was also there for Zacchaeus' household. And we don't know if Zacchaeus had a wife and kids, but he's a wealthy man. He's probably got some servants who live there, work for him. And if you've ever had a, a boss that is selfish or greedy, like you know that is, that is difficult, or you worked with somebody, or maybe it's like you've had somebody in the home who's selfish and greedy, and you know like that is just not a pleasant atmosphere. And here, here's the thing. Jesus says the salvation has come to his home that day. It, like, it's impacted his household. He's, Zacchaeus is a new man. His, his goal, it's not getting rich, but it's to faithfully live for his Savior. And there's power in a new affection. Like, when we switch our allegiance from pursuing wealth or popularity or power or whatever it is that we've made the main goal of our life to faithfully following Jesus, it's going to make you a better husband. It's going to make you a better wife. It's going to make you a better parent, a better child, a better family member, worker, coworker, boss, whatever it is. You will be better because of it. Now, Jesus was also there for Zacchaeus' community. As a result of Jesus being there, Zacchaeus gives half his wealth to the poor. That is going to make an imp immediate impact on the needs of, of the people in the community. But then what else does he do? Zacchaeus goes around and he starts knocking on doors. And he says, I'm here to restore what I've taken wrongly. But not just that, four times the amount. 
And, and just kind of like we looked at, at at the beginning of this, like that's going to be an interesting conversation. You get somebody show up at your door like, I'm here to give you four times what I've wrongly taken from you. You're going to go, thank you, <laughs> but, but why? Like what led you to do this? And every time Zacchaeus does this, I can imagine it's an opportunity to talk about how Jesus has come into his life and how Jesus has impacted his life and what Jesus has done for him. And the, the, the life of the community is immediately impacted by the presence of a tax collector who lives with integrity, who honors God. Now, Jesus' presence in Zacchaeus' home that day is going to do far more than if Jesus went into the home of like a priest or a well-respected religious person in the community. Because if he went to a priest's home or somebody who's like, they've got their life together, people would go, okay, Jesus only likes the religious ones. He only likes the people who can hold it all together. But by going into Zacchaeus' home, that was a statement. It's like, no, it's, it's not just the ones who have it all together. That, that, that God is there for everyone, and his forgiveness and his grace and his salvation and his power to change is available to everyone, even the ones that society will write off and say is the worst of sinners. And Zacchaeus, his open-handed generosity, it characterizes those whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. Like there's, earlier in, this, in, in, in Luke, Jesus tells a rich young ruler, you got to give all your wealth away if you want to follow me. He does not give that command to everybody. He doesn't, as far as we know, make that command to Zacchaeus, but he willingly does it. Now Jesus, he's not going to tell most of us, like empty your bank accounts and give it all away. Maybe if the Holy Spirit's convicting you to do that, maybe, maybe you need to. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus, he willingly does this. He gives it all away. And it's, it's this thing. When we understand what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that he is not held back, that he has given everything, that he has promised us an inheritance, that he has adopted us and all the promises that come with that, we stop going like, what, what do I have to give you? Like that question, what do I have to give you? That's transactional. It's like, if I, what's the minimum I can give you in order to get into heaven? That's not the way God works. That he's given you everything freely through Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, we stop asking that transactional question and we start asking this, God, what can I do? God, what do I get to do in response to what you've done for me? And we've been saved from an eternity, separated from God and his goodness in hell. And we should consider it a privilege to live generous lives that are an enthusiastic witness of his love for us so that other people might experience that love themselves. Now there was one more group of people that Jesus was there for that day. And Jesus was there for us. Like in most Bible stories, we'll read them. We're going to identify with the character. Um, and, and so... Like in, in David and Goliath, nobody's like, I'm Goliath, <laughs> I'm terrible, like that's, that's who I strive to be. Like, no, we're like, I'm, I'm David, I'm going to slay my enemies. Nobody is like, wants to be like when, when uh, Joshua comes in and he, he takes the promised land, nobody's like, I want to be the ones that are getting destroyed. No, we're like, I'm going to be a Joshua, I'm going to do things for God. And we, we identify with the hero. Now, most of the times we're not God's always the hero in these stories. And, and here's the thing. In this story, um, we might think we're, we're like Jesus, but in reality, we're more like Zacchaeus or the people grumbling against Jesus. Like, it's, it's easy for us to look at this and go, I would, I would understand what Jesus is up to that day. I, I see what he's doing. 
But in reality, you, you probably wouldn't. Like last week, I saw a well-known pastor. He posted a picture on social media of himself with his arm around another well-known uh, pastor in this pastor's church saying, thank you for having me in your church and all of this. Now, this first pastor, I'm going, solid teacher, good ministry, no issues with it. Second pastor, I use that term lightly, uh, I say borderline false teacher, don't think you really want to have much to do with him. I'm sparing names. Um, but here's the thing. When I saw that, my gut reaction was this. I can't believe he would go there and have his picture taken with him. Like, man, that's going to be bad for his, his image, bad for his reputation. What are people going to think? And then, boom, Holy Spirit conviction hits me. And I was like, and like looking at this text, I'm like, oh, man. Because I'm... I was convicted. Like my first instinct or concern was this guy's public image and perception and not the possibility that he was there preaching truth. I'd wandered into the realm of grumbling and complaining myself. Anybody else guilty of this? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> but it's a reality. We can, we can find ourselves there so easily. And I'll say, I still don't know if it was a good idea for him to be there because Scripture would say, don't have anything to do with false teachers. Now, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes we can be guilty of caring more about guarding our public image or reputation, uh, reputation to the point that we neglect Jesus' ministry of seeking and saving the lost. And we can grumble against those who are doing what they can and making every effort to reach the lost. And, and here's the thing, like complaining, not in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Not a spiritual gift, not a mark of spiritual maturity. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. Anytime you see anybody making an effort to seek and save the lost, encourage them. Thank them. Um, celebrate that. Cheer them on. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're not like the grumblers and the complainers. Maybe you're more like Zacchaeus, and you've been told or come to believe that you are unwanted by God, that you are so completely and utterly lost that God himself does not want you, could not find you, does not want to have anything to do with you. Now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories to answer those who are complaining about the company that he keeps. The first one is this, the, the, the lost sheep. The shepherd realizes that one of the 100 sheep is, is missing. He leaves the 99, he goes and finds that one sheep. When he finds that one sheep, he rejoices. The point of the story is that one sheep is known. Next story, Jesus tells the story of a woman who loses one of her 10 coins. She realizes it's lost. She tears the house apart, puts it back together till she finds that coin. Why? Because that coin has value. The final story, Jesus' most famous parable, the, the parable of the lost son. The son essentially says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He leaves, blows it, ruins his life, comes to his senses, goes home. Dad's probably going to reject me. Maybe I can be a servant, though. And what happens? The father sees him coming, runs to him, open arms. Why? Because the father loves his child. And Jesus tells this story in answering why do you hang out with these people? And each one of them has to do with something that is lost. He's saying these people are known, they are valued, they are loved by God. And you are known. You are valued. You are loved by God. I'm going to say it again because some of us need to hear it. You are known, you are valued, you are loved by God. About seven years ago, Shannon and myself and our, our son Seth 
Um, we're at the beach with some friends. Jane hadn't been born yet, and we're just hanging out. And Shannon and Seth and some of them walked up the beach um, to check something that was going on out. I was lazy. I stayed on the blanket and probably slept. Um, but they, they come back, and we're all hanging out on the beach. And then somebody asked the question no parent ever wants to hear. Where's Seth? Where, where's the kid? And like, if you've ever heard that, that's the worst feeling ever. I sit up, my head's just like back and forth. Where is he? I can't see him anywhere on this crowded beach. And like, your mind starts racing. You're like, okay, okay. Uh, did he go down to the water? Um, did somebody take him? Where is he? And so like, we all spread out. Somebody goes down the water. People go opposite directions. Somebody goes out to the parking lot. We're trying to find him. Now, thankfully, after some frantic searching, we did find him. I mean, obviously, because he was in church this morning. Um, but like what had happened was as they walked up the, the beach, Seth had seen somebody had dug this massive hole, like just huge, and he wanted to go back and check it out. Didn't ask anybody to go with him, didn't tell anybody, and so he's like three at this point, and he's down in the hole. We couldn't see him. Now, eventually we found him, and here's the thing. As his parents, we were more anxious to find Seth than he was to be found, and even before Seth realized he was lost, we were searching and as a, as a parent, as his father, I would never give up searching until I found him. Why? Because my son's proper place is at home with me. And that's what the gospel says. God wants you at home. He's come searching and looking for you. And Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. He stepped off his throne. He put on human flesh. He went to the cross to save you. He has not forgotten about you. He is not ignoring you. He is seeking you. He wants you back home with him. And what does Jesus say when Zacchaeus finds salvation? That, that today is the day of salvation. And I want to let you know that today is still the day of salvation. That if you believe that Jesus Christ did all of this for you, that you can be saved, you can experience what Jesus did for Zacchaeus, this, this course reset to his life that changed the direction of it. And if you would like to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can, you can let us know. You can fill out a Connect card online. You can speak to me or to Greg on your way out, and we'll talk about what that looks like. 